we're so glad to have you here this morning. I tell you, that is our worship team for VBS next week, and uh, we've got many kiddos coming this way. I understand we, I don't know if Jonathan mentioned this, but we have over 320 enrolled in Vacation Bible School. Yeah, greatest number we've ever had. Let me tell you a little bit about our children's ministry. It has literally, in the last two months, has grown by 30% in attendance. So that tells you a lot of needs over there. So if you want to help us out, Kristen Walker or Corby Hangline, be glad to touch base with them. It's pretty exciting working over in that other building. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. But 320, uh, this, the, the, worship, the children's worship team and all those who are a part, those teach small groups, or whatever are doing a fantastic job reaching the children in our community and so they've done a phenomenal job if you have your Bibles turn to Psalm 30 Psalm 30 we're continuing the series summer in the Psalms and uh, I got to looking on the internet looking at some of our sister churches here in the area we're one of three churches that are doing the exact same thing this summer and to my knowledge, none of us got together about it. So God must be speaking to our churches in the Psalms this summer. I don't think we're dealing with the same Psalms, but it's pretty cool to think about when it's that whole idea of just studying things together in a community. Today, we're going to be looking at a Psalm written by King David. And if you will, look at the introduction. Everything in this world is ever-changing. And according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this would include the seasons of our lives. Now, how many of you have lived long enough to know that there are seasons to life? I mean, there are. You look at your own life, you know those times of turmoil, you know those times of peace, you know those times where life is overwhelming. There's so many different uh, versions of life when it comes to the seasons. King Solomon wrote this. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to keep silent and time to speak, a time of war and a time of peace." That really tells us a little bit about what this life is all about. But look at the next phrase there, or next sentence in your outline. Therefore, life itself is transitional and temporary, creating the opportunity for much turmoil. I think if you were to say, okay, give me a picture of what my life possibly looks like. I think many of us would say that our life is a journey. How many of you have thought of your life as a journey? And you're on this journey, and for those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the fact that we're followers of Jesus, Jesus is leading us, and we're on this journey. If you're in the church, we're all journeying together. But I want to give you a picture of what the Bible seems to say about this life. So look at, look at this picture here. Go ahead and pull that up. All right? Now, when you look at that picture, imagine that picture, imagine that man on the open sea. Now, that's what I envision someone who doesn't know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. They're, they're kind of in life by themselves, trying to make it the best they can go. So look at the next picture. Uh, I think there's one between this one. Yeah, there you go. We got this picture. Now, when you look at this picture, to me, this is probably an accurate account of what our life looks like. 
So many of us think of this whole idea of life being on, the, uh, on, on dry land and kind of going through life and that kind of thing. But when you look at this picture, you see that life comes at you in so many different ways that I think it's more of a picture. And I think the Bible presents itself this way as a ship on the open seas. Now think about this. In the ancient world, the most unsafe place you could be anywhere unless you were part outside of a volcano, would be on the open seas. In the ancient world, people were terrified of sea travel. Uh, they didn't like being out there in the middle of nothing in the dark. They didn't like uh, many times Paul himself. There's numerous times in which he was shipwrecked. They were terrified of the open sea. And so when you begin to look at our life many times, what you'll find is that there's things in life that we can't control. There's things in life we can control, but there's many more things in our life that we can't control. It seems to imply, the Bible seems to imply that God set the foundation of the earth on the waters, on the waters, constantly changing. No one is unmoved. We all also know that life is not stationary. Nothing is permanent. Everything in this world is changing. How many of you, that's a source of frustration at times? Yeah. Right when you get where you can handle this, something else is introduced. The Bible goes on and says we're a vapor, a mist. We're here and gone. We are a temporary people living in a changing temporal world. And then add on top of that, that we live in a fallen world. The Bible literally says this world is cursed when you begin to look at it. So those are the things that we're up against. And I want you to understand that I firmly believe this is the most accurate idea of what life looks like. Now, it's not always smooth sailing, is it? Look at the next picture. Many of you probably recognize Rembrandt's, the disciples, and Jesus is in the boat. You remember the picture? It's a scene of, of a scene we find in the Gospels. But many times our life looks like this too, doesn't it? Tossed to and fro. And we see so many times that life is uncertain, it's temporal, it's unchanging, and sometimes it comes at us so fast. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is basically saying this. Listen to what he says. See that we are no longer children, spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea and carried about by every wind or shifting doctrine. It's a whole idea that when we begin to look at our lives in the context of us being on the open seas on the ship or whatever, that we're out there and things are changing all around us, but we're called to lean and on the truths of God's Word, not be tossed to and fro, knowing what we believe in whom we believed. And he goes on. He says, by the deceitful scheming of others, ready to do anything for personal profit, but speaking the truth in love in all things, both our speech and our lives expressing His truth. Let us grow up into all things unto Him, literally following His example who was the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, the church, and it's all various parts are joined, joined and knit together firmly by whatever joint supplies. When each part is working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. What you see here, what Paul, I believe, is trying to present to us in Ephesians chapter 4 is the idea that we are living on the open seas. 
And it, it, we're fully capable of being caught up in a wind that's taking us away from God, away from His truth. But we're called to stand and come together to recognize what is truth, what is deceitful. Those who are trying to draw us away from truth. But not only that, we stand together in the church to present that truth. I think of so many churches in our day that are getting away from the truth. They're, they're literally, if you really think about it, they're the ones being tossed to and fro. And so we're not even talking about an individual in a church. We're talking about whole churches. It's whole denominations are moving away from the truth, from the truth of God's Word. Again, another picture that we see in Scripture, Paul is giving his last words to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Here's what he says. He says, my departure from this world is at hand. That word departure, do you know what it literally means when you begin to get a picture of what it means in the Greek? It literally means leaving one port and going to another. He's literally talking about he's leaving this earthly port and going to a heavenly port. He's leaving this world. And again, it's a picture of a ship on the open sea. You see, when we leave this world, we leave behind the transitional and temporal character of this world. How many of you are grateful for that? We're leaving that behind. The book of Revelation, we've been studying that on Wednesday evenings, and, and here's what we've discovered. When it comes to John getting this vision what we're seeing there is this vision, and you, you see so many things, streets of gold, you see all these ideas about what heavens is going to be like. But you know one thing that John seems to talk about over and over again is this idea of no more sea, no more night, no more pain and sorrow, no more death. You know what, you know what heaven is full of? Certainty. There's something constant about heaven. It's not something that, 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 like this world, where we're on the open seas and we're open to anything, and our safety, we feel threatened, and the, the turmoil of this life is all removed in the description that John gives us about our eternal home. And so Paul, when he talks about going to that new port, and he's there in heaven, he's talking about heaven, it's the idea that we're leaving a changing world into a life and a reality and an existence that is definitely not changing. It's secure. But in the meantime, where do we find ourselves in this world? Look, look at the last sentence of the introduction. But even in the midst of it all, the uncertainty, the turmoil, we can still celebrate and offer thanksgiving to our loving and generous Savior. You see, in Psalm 30, we read a psalm of David. And he's definitely writing about a, un, about a changing world. He's definitely re, uh, writing about the turmoils that have occurred in his life. And he carries us into different categories in which God came through. There was a place of, uncer of uh, uncertainty to a place where God just kind of came through in his life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in the body of this sermon. So even in the turmoil of this world, look at your outline, God can bring us from defeat to victory, from defeat to victory. Look at chapter 30 of Psalms, verse 1. He says, I will extol you, O Lord. Basically, that word means I'm going to favor you above all, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Of course, foes is in the idea of, of enemies. You haven't left my enemies. You, they've not come over me. Think about David. 
He was the king of Israel. Even today, does Israel have enemies? <laughs> Go back to the days of, Israel, the days of David. Nothing's really changed. And so what he's talking about is the fact that there's enemies all around him. I want you to think about our enemies. We have enemies all around us. Some we know, and maybe some we don't know. Those attempting to tear us down. Those attempting to destroy our testimonies. Those are out there who are speaking lies, gossip, and all these things. David is basically saying, you have set me above those things. You've given me the perspective above the drama of life. You've given me the perspective of the, uh, of the changing ways of people who are all around me, some that I would consider my enemies that, that aren't looking out for the best of me, but they're seeking their own, and they'll come after me in the, in the process. And he's basically saying, you know something? God, you were there. Listen to what Romans says in Romans chapter 12. Paul is basically talking about the life of a follower of Jesus. And here's what he says. Repay no one evil for evil. When they've spoke evil of you, when they've done evil against you, don't return evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Don't attempt to get even. For it is written, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what that tells us? He'll take care of it. And Paul is, excuse me, David is basically saying the same thing here. I don't have to go out here and run myself ragged to make sure this is there and this is there. God's going to handle those things. I can live above the drama that's in my life that others bring. But I think he's also talking about the possibility of spiritual warfare also. How many of you ever heard of something called spiritual warfare? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a follower of Jesus, and you're attempting to live in the truth of God's Word, let me tell you something. You probably know something about spiritual warfare because it is all around us. And you take the fact that our life is, is like a ship on the sea, and we're being tossed to and fro, and we're, we're, we're coming and going, and, and life has that fallen nature about it. Listen, it's all coming against us, and the enemy will see to it. So there's a part where we can move from defeat to victory, even in spiritual warfare. But let me ask you this. How many of you sometimes are probably your own worst enemy? Have you ever been there? Have you ever made decisions? Have you ever thought things? Have you ever obsessed over things that took you to a dark place or a different place than where you should be? Where you began to believe the lies of the enemy, the lies of this world, and you began to move. You see, our emotions war against us, obsessing over things we have no control of. The storms of life, are they going to come? Absolutely they're going to come. But really, when you think about it, can you really do anything about the storm? No, you just hold on. It's a season of life. It's something you're going through. And, and, and sometimes it's a test of faith. It's a test of trust. How about our actions? They war against us. How many of you have set things in place in your life, and boy, you wish you had never set those things in place? Of course they're going to have an outcome. 
How about our reactions? They war against us. How we respond to something many times can put us right in the drama, can make us a target for enemies or the enemies of this world, the enemies outside of this world. But all these things David is saying, God has the potential to bring us from a place of defeat to a place of victory. Next, God can bring us from sickness to health. Look at verse 2. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. He's, he's basically talking about the times that David came to the end of himself. How many of you have been to the end of yourself? You feel like there's nothing else, nowhere to turn. You're on the open sea, and you're out there, and you feel like your life is just literally being taught. You have no control. You feel like you have no control over it. And all of a sudden, you find yourself there. Maybe there's some physical things going on in your life. The Bible says God can restore the health to those. Maybe there's something mentally going on. God wants to take you from a place of discouragement, from a place of distress to a place of peace. How about emotional disorders? How about those of us who are sitting in this room right now, and again, our ship is on the open sea? We know there's a God that loves us that's out there, but we find ourselves overwhelmed and at times with no hope. No hope. How about some of you, are, you feel like you're facing imminent danger? You may have thought destruction was coming your way, and, and you began to look out there, and the storms were coming. You saw the clouds, and, and you looked, and, you, and for many of it, it caused a lot of turmoil, anxiety, and stress. But you know, God can bring us from a place of danger to a place of safety. This verse, or this whole psalm, seems to be David is talking about that God comes through. God comes through. And he's talking about that. But again, he's talking about our lives being in the uncertainty of this world. Next, God can bring us from weeping to joy. This is a very famous part. Uh, if you were to say, uh, give me some one-liners from the Psalms, uh, what I'm about to read would be one of those one-liners. Look at verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His. Now, when he's talking about praise there, he's talking about that inward praise, and he's talking about that outward praise. You saints of His. It's literally the idea of meditation. The idea of meditation, when God just brings something into your life, you're sitting there, and maybe the uncertainty of tomorrow, the uncertainty of the things you're dealing with, and you have a special presence with God, with God. That's what he's talking about here. He says, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Remember him for who he truly is. Many of us, when we see the storm clouds, many of us, when the boat goes up and down on the waves of this life and the uncertainty of it all, Many times we lose sight of who God really is. How many of you have ever said, God, where are you? How many of you have ever said, God, do you even care? Have you ever been there? David's talking about that. You look at the Psalms. We, we heard of Lydia's story last week. She came up here and was very transparent and vulnerable with us and, and talking about the times where she wasn't sure where to turn. It was hard to turn to God. She was bitter. She was hurt. And yet, many times we find ourselves there. But he talks about this. 
He says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks in remembrance of His holy name. Remember, it's literally the idea, remember who He truly is. And then it says this, for His anger, some translations say His displeasure is just but for a moment. How many of you ever felt God discipline you? You, you ever been, how many of you have heard the phrase, been taken to the woodshed? Younger people are like, what is that all about? Some of you know what it's about. Even I do. I know what the woodshed's all about. No one wants to be taken to the woodshed. But y'all, we have a loving Father who will take us there sometimes. And, and there's times, that, and the reason He does that is He wants so much more for us. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to get back in line. And here, we, we see that, that David is talking about these times, but then he comes to this conclusion at the end of verse 5, but his favor is for life. He says, in the midst of it all, even in the discipline, when his displeasure is pointed towards me. Some of us believe as possibly uh, David, when he says this, when he talks about favor, he's talking about his pleasure. And it speaks of life, of revived life, from sickness, discouragement, and even death, and even our own sin. He's, in the New Testament, the New Testament idea that David's talking about here would be this idea of resurrection life that's full, lasting, abundant, and energetic. And so what does he say? His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but that joy comes in the morning. The word joy there literally means shouts of joy. How many of you ever had a shouting fit before? You ever had a shouting fit before? Just got out there and just started shouting, amen. You know, I don't know what you shout, but anyway, just, just all giddy about what God has done in your life. But think about that. Many times it comes after the time of weeping. Weeping may endure for a night. How many of you, at night, it's difficult? It's difficult sometimes, isn't it? I wake up at night. I wake up obsessing over things. I, I, listen, how, how many of you notice it can really get dark in, in, in the night? <laughs> and I'm not just talking about the light being removed. I'm talking about the darkness of where we are. And the distresses of life, and it keeps us up, and it keeps us up, and it keeps us up. But yet God is basically saying, you know something, David? Yeah, it may be there for the night, but tomorrow's coming. How many of you have been obsessed at night only to awaken the next morning to see things in a totally different light? It's almost like it wasn't near as bad as where it was last night. But now there's just a new thing. I tend to believe that that goes back to the idea that his mercies are new every day. It goes back to that idea that this is another day in which we can praise him. This is another day that we can make right what was yesterday. It, it takes us to a new place is what he's saying here in the morning. And that's what he's telling us. So we see this. But for David, it continues Look on your outline. God can bring us from mourning to dancing. And the first thing I want you to see is, is a pernicious pride that David had. The word pernicious I'm using here means hurtful or deadly. 
There's a pride that seems to well up in David, and we've seen it over the times of his life. When we see David and uh, at times when he thought that he was unshaken, that we're getting ready to read, the times he believed he could bring another man's wife into his bed, the time we, we read in Scripture where he goes out and God says, don't, don't, don't do this census, and he takes his census to, to look at how vast his, his, uh, his kingdom is and the pride that settled in his heart. Where did it come from? Well, look at verse 6. He says, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. I shall never be shaken. The world is, everybody talks about all the things about this world that's unchanging and all this, but I'm here to tell you, I can't be moved. David's really thinking highly of himself. He think, he's thinking there's nothing that can remove him from the perch in which he sits in his life. So some of us believe, as David did once, that, that we are unshaken, that we're invincible. David's saying, I've been there. David's saying that prosperity had a lot to do with it. I believe I was self-sustained. I believe that I didn't need anything else. I had it. But did David find that that was a fallacy? Of course he did, just like every one of us has or will do. And we see that. And here's what we need to understand from this passage. Be careful that when you enjoy peace or prosperity, that you don't allow pride to sneak in or, or, or let it blind you from the true source of who where your life is all about. How many of you ever studied the, the lifestyle of the rich and famous? You ever studied those people? Have you ever looked out there and thought, how can you be so foolish? You ever looked at that in some ways? The rich. How many of you have noticed that many have early deaths? Have you, how many of you have noticed that? I'm sitting here thinking, how, how do you go from being everything that you had, all the influence you have, all anything you could ever imagine, how can you have all that and still wind up dead? How does that happen? through so many times it's just stupid. Here's why. They thought they were invincible. They thought they could, they, they, they thought they couldn't, that they weren't shaken. There's nothing in this world that could shake them. And, and many of us could look at the rich, uh, the lifestyle of the rich and famous and all them, but guess what? We can all equally get there ourselves where we think we're all that, where we think I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. All of us has probably been there at some point. And for David, this at times, when he entered this frame of mind, he was hurtful and he was deadly. We all live, listen, the rich, the poor, on the changing, on the changing and at times turbulent waters of this life. We all live on the same seas, the same seas, storms and everything. We're all there. But for David, there came a point in his life at some point where he thought he was invincible. Pride had set up. And, but then David comes, look on your outline, to a proper perspective concerning his life. There's one thing about David, that David, when he gets sideways or when he, he veers off, that's one thing about David. Based on the Psalms, we know that he, his longing is to be back where he once was. And that's what we find in the Psalms. That's why David is so appealing to us. And so David found himself there. But look at what verse 7 says. Lord, by your favor, 
You have made my mountain stand strong. David somehow moves from his pride to a new perspective on the fact that anything that is solid in his life has come from God all along. There was a time in which he thought he was self-sufficient. There was a time in which he'd had it all together. He thought, man, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I've got it. To a time in which he discovered it was God all along in his life, bringing that favor. And so so we see this. We see God's favor in the first part of verse 7. But in in the second part of verse 7, we see something else. He says, you hid your face. And I was troubled. He's basically saying, the reason I got to the point where I understood that my life is to live, be in the context of who you are, that anything that's solid in my life comes from you. He's basically saying, when I was in that frame of mind, I detected that I didn't have your favor upon me. I saw that I was out from under your protection. Basically, David, and what we see many times in Scripture, David seems to always come back around to the proper perspective. But most of the time when he did did not, it cost him dearly. God disciplined him because he loved him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The true follower of Jesus knows when they are in favor with him and when they're out of favor with with him. Now, Now, why would I say that? Because it's a relationship. It's all built on relationship. If your salvation is built on doing good and God blesses you, doing bad, and he comes after you, and that's all it's based on, you totally miss what God has for you. God desires a relationship with you through the provision of Jesus Christ. And he wants that relationship with you. Did you know with my wife, my wife doesn't have to say a word, and I can tell when I'm in favor with her and out of favor with her. (laughs) Amen. Thanks for that. She doesn't have to say a word. I know immediately. There's a connection that we have. There's something that we have. And and sometimes I'll play stupid. How many men have tried that? You know, and just, well, how you doing? What's what's going on? You know, you know what's going on. You know, you, you, you know. But because of the intimacy that we share with one another, I know when I'm in favor. I know when I'm out of favor. And she doesn't have to say a word. That's the same intimacy that we should have if we're followers of Jesus. That is a telltale sign. How many of you know when you're in the favor of God? Some of you say, oh, yeah, man, let me tell you, I came across some cash the other day. Go God. That's got to be God, right? No, not necessarily. The enemy's giving me money at times to get me in trouble. How many of you can relate to that? No, it's the blessing. It's the favor of God that's on your life. But how many times do you know when you're out of favor with God? And God wants to give you a different perspective. And he loves you too much to leave you where you are in your pride. And the fact that you think you're un- un- invincible and unshakable. God will bring you to your knees. I, I really want to know this. How many of you have been there before? Yeah. A lot of testimony of that. David, man after God's own heart, we read his story. We hear his pleas in the Psalms. He was definitely there on numerous occasions. But he always came back to the proper focus. He knew when he was in favor with God, and he knew when he was out of favor with God. David now gives what we would call a painful plea, 
a painful plea. Look at verse 8. He says, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. That literally means he's crying out, he's pleading, he's giving this list of what he would like to see. And he's basically saying, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Help me to get back where I once was. God, don't take life from me. Help me to get back to where I once was. Basically, David was saying, God, I know I made a mess out of this season in my life. I should have known better. Please have mercy on me. David is literally asking God for mercy over the sin of his pride. God, help me. He's asking, literally, here's what he's asking. Help me to turn from what you detest in me to what you desire for me. You see, so many times when we look at this relationship with God, we we think that the only reason he's sitting there and we fall out of favor with him is because of something he detests in us. But that's only part of it. It's just part of it. The other part that we don't realize is he has a, a completely different desire for us that he wants us to experience in him. But so many times we look at this uh, joy-killing God sometimes, and we think, oh, man, he detests this in me. He's just trying to put me in check. And No, no, it's not just that. He wants so much more for us, so much more for us. Jesus said, I came that they may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. I came to make provision for their sin. I came to bring them into a right relationship with God himself. God wants to shine his favor upon them. And so therefore I came not only to save them from their sin, but to bring that restoration back that we could have favor with God. And David seems to be in this process. Next, David then has a perpetual praise. Look at verse 11. He says, you have, turned, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. He, he's literally talking about the grief of what I was experiencing, the fact that I was outside of your favor, the fact that I was out there on that open sea alone in that little dinghy, <laughs> trying to face the world on my own, thinking I was unshakable, and yet something came into my life to give me the proper perspective. God, I pleaded with you. And now I'm praising you. Why would he praise him? Because he's turned the morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Uh, Sackcloth would be severe mourning. What he had done brought great mourning in his life. Great sorrow. And to the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Forever. A perpetual praise. David was prepared because of what God was doing in his life, not only to praise him here in the midst of the storms of this life, the seasons of this life, the unchanging or the changing facts of this life, the fallen nature of this life, for the fact that he knew that he would be eternally praising him also, that that praise would translate to his heavenly home. So here's the application. Living in an ever-changing fallen world can create much anxiety and fear. How many of you agree with that? That's where it comes from. That's where we find ourselves. Y'all, we're on the open sea. 
When you look at your life, don't, don't think it's some path that uh, splits at times where you got to make a decision over, okay, which way you got, is God leading? There may be something to that. But the fact is, the picture of our life looks more like a ship on the, oceans, on the ocean seas, on, on the seas. And we're there. And we're at the mercy of so many things that we cannot control. But yet God can bring this stability to our lives. Look at what it says. Living in an ever-changing fallen world can create much anxiety and fear unless you are firmly established in God's truth and know that He is worthy of your praise. So the question this morning is this. Are you firmly established in His truth? Now let me say this. To the follower of Jesus in right relationship with Jesus, where God's favor is upon that person, do the storms still come to them? Oh, most definitely. But what he's trying to show us right here is there's some things that must be in place to help us deal with the changing nature of this world and the fallen nature of this world. And it requires us being grounded in the truth of his word. The reason we're in the turmoil that we're in right now, and the reason many of us are totally missing it, is we don't know the truth. We don't know the truth. Listen to what Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 7. Look, you'll recognize the story. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he's basically saying whoever lives in the truth, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He, he built his, his house on rock, on the rock, on the truth. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, just like it does everyone else that lives in this fallen, changing world. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock, on truth. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, now, who could that include? That could include us sitting in this room. We've heard the truth. We've seen it displayed to us by King David, and yet we're sitting here listening to him. And then he says, who does not do what has been told will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and it was a great fail. A great fail. A great fall. Think about that. Where do you find yourself? The storms are coming. The sails are going to take a beating. So much of this life is out of your control. But it all comes back to getting to the truth. And here's the conclusion based on that. False beliefs about God or yourself lead to ungodly thoughts, then ungodly feelings and emotions which then leads to ungodly actions or reactions. The thing that we need to get when it comes to the truth of God's Word, what we need to understand is who God truly is. How many of you would agree that God gives, that the world gives a, a different picture of who God is than what His Word says? Most definitely. How many of you at times have a different picture of who God is than what is in God's truth in His Word? We've been there. When we say, God, do you even care? The Bible says he cares. But our emotions take us elsewhere. 
And not only do we need to understand the truth of who God is, we got to understand the truth of who we are. We are his children. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a follower of Jesus. You are his child. He wants the best for you. There's times he must discipline you. There's times he's got to help you come back to the proper perspective. I need that at times. I've seen where you've needed that at times. But you know something? God also knows that we live in a fallen world. We live out on the open sea. And there can be things that hit us from so many different ways we never knew could dream of. You see, when we say we're out on the open seas, we don't have the, uh, the weather channel to know where it's coming from sometimes, do we? We don't have that Santorin, whatever his name is, the, the, the guy that gets all excited when storms come. What's his name? Anyway, I thought if we could ever put him together with Nancy Grace and they had a child, that, that would be a mess, wouldn't it? <laughs> You ever heard of this Nancy Grace lady? These people are crazy. No, anyway. But anyway, <laughs> where did that come from? Anyway, <laughs> but my thinking is this. We don't know where the storm, that storm's coming from. We don't know what direction. We don't know what's floating under our ship. We don't know where the danger is. It's unchanging. It's constantly. But one thing that we do know that we can rest ourselves in is the fact and the truth of who God is and who he says that we are. And that should be enough to get us out of this world and take us to the world to come. That's where God wants for us. That's what he wants for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you right now. And Lord, I don't know who's in this room. I know of some stories that are in this room. I know that there are some people in this room that are going through a storm right now. I've seen my own family go through storms. I've been through storms. I've been at that place where I didn't think you cared. I've been at that place where I didn't think you heard my prayer. I've been there. I think many of us in this room have been there. And Father, I just pray if there's someone here today that's in the midst of the storm and is totally overwhelming, it's a scary place. There doesn't seem to be hope. Father, help us to understand this world will produce those very things. But yet you're greater than everything this world can produce. You're greater than the turmoil, the anxiety, the stressors. Father, you're greater than those things. And Father, I just pray that with David, that we come back to that proper focus of what you're capable of. It doesn't mean the storm's going to go away, but it does mean that you will sustain us through it, that you'll be there. And Lord, there's coming a day in which you'll deliver us from all this to a place that you prepared for us, a place where there's no more sea. A place where there's no more death. There's, there, there's, to a place that's constant. To a place where life doesn't just take us unexpectedly. That is the place that John describes in the book of Revelation. Father, we thank you for that day that's coming. Father, I pray for the person that may be here this morning that thinks they're unshaken. Or unshakable. They believe they're self-sufficient. They believe they're okay because there's a false sense of security that's under them right now. Maybe it's their prosperity. 
Maybe it's because they've figured it all out or think they have. Maybe it's because they think they have all the answers. Lord, help them to know that it is so uncertain. There's no certainty in riches. There's no certainty in anything that this world produces and, and allows it to, to be produced in us. But Lord, help us all to get back to the truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are in you, and the truth of what we're battling when it comes to this world in which we're on the open seas and there is danger all around. Help us to rest in you. Father, I pray that, Lord, for the person, as we said last week, that's going into the storm, the person in the storm, the person coming out of the storm, Lord, help us to realize that it's all about the unchanging or the changing fallen world, the uncertainty of this world that brings that about. But we can rest in you. And we thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has encouraged you this morning. Um, I know that um, for us, I'm a little early. Uh, I, y'all seem to be liking Gary a lot, and I think it's because he preaches shorter sermons, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to fall in line with that. But you're dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning. Please pray for VBS this coming week. Thank you. <laughs>